Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about the launch of Ninja Lane version 4.0 and the MOA 2013 results. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McCain. Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast indeed, Dennis. Well, however they got to us today through our subscription, through RSS, through our old website, or from our new improved location, where might that be? That would be hardwareasylum.com. This last month, we changed domains, so we're no longer hosted on ninjalane.com, moved everything over to Hardware Asylum, and really, I want to say that it's going to be a good thing. So we have been working quietly behind the scenes for some time now, and the we is mostly Dennis, so give him props. Yay. For some really, I think, some impressive upgrades to the original site. So I thought I'd give you an opportunity to talk to us about what you can expect from the new website. Great. Well, hardwareasylum.com is really what I would like to call Ninja Lane version 4. It has a new name, but same reviewers, same content, same categories, better exposure for the podcast. We also have better navigation for the reviews and the articles. I took down the project section. If you remember on ninjalane.com, I had a few case mod projects. That was a larger portion of the site way back when, you know, some 13 years ago. And now that that has kind of become more of subdued, we're doing more reviews and we're doing more podcasts. So we're going to put that into the forefront. I noticed that in addition to the site having a dramatic facelift, which I'd like to talk about a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. you've also removed the forums. Yes, the forums are officially shut down. Unfortunately, the forums kind of uh, met their demise. Well, it seems like in the age of social media, the forums have kind of become a bit of a dinosaur. Most folks these days are working through Facebook or Twitter or through some sort of direct commenting. Right, and people that do actively visit forums already have their home forum that they like. They have the people that they know there. They also have some reputation. It's really difficult to get those people to go to a new forum and kind of basically start over. Well, the good news is it's very easy to like Ninja Lane or Hardware Asylum as we are now via Facebook, and that makes it so you don't even have to really work so hard to follow us. We will bring the news to you. Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about what you've done with the site, because I know that the Ninja Lane website had been around for Gosh, it seems like forever. (laughs) And this is a really a dramatic change. And I know that to me, it seems a lot more modern. Right. I tried to give the site a facelift to match what a lot of other sites have been doing. So the the styles follow the same. We have a lot more Ajax interaction. So there's some JavaScript going on behind the scenes. The logos is very, (laughs) I want to say the logo has a lot of action to it. But it's also very simple so that you can put that on shirts, you can put that on hats, appliques for cases and whatnot. Whereas with ninjalane.com, the icon was a throwing star, you know, a shuriken. And that didn't uh, convey too well in printed media and also on shirts (laughs) and whatnot. So I liked it, but I think what maybe is more important is to talk about what the rebranding does for what was Ninjalane and is now Hardware Asylum. Well, if you think about the name Ninja Lane, what do you think that website does? Uh, Motorcycles? Martial arts? (laughs) 
Well, every time I would go to ship something at the UPS store, I'd be wearing a Ninja Lane shirt. The gal behind the counter would think that I was running a karate studio or something. <laughs> that was really kind of an eye-opener to the point where in the old days of the web, when NinjaLane.com was established, people could brand on just about any name they wanted because the name didn't necessarily have to convey what the site did. All right. Now with Google trying to keep search spam down, you know, they hit really hard on content farms, which is sites that just kind of pop up and then they copy a whole bunch of content to get a bunch of traffic, get some advertising revenue, and then just go away. Yeah, we don't like those sites. No, not at all. Unfortunately, those sites would crop up and they would have a domain name that didn't necessarily match the content. Right. So a way that Google has combated that is to filter those out. And unfortunately, NinjaLane.com doesn't describe hardware review in the name or anything with computers. So I was having a really difficult time getting content ranked on within Google. Why hardware asylum? Ooh, now that is a very, very good question. I'm going to say that a lot of the good domain names are already taken. What? You'd yeah. never know that was true. It's like vanity plates or those silly extra pay phone numbers. There's just so many to go around, right? Well, yeah, there is. And admittedly, I could have done it like hardware dash asylum, I think was available and some other hardware related domains were available, but none of them really had a good, you know, a good feeling, a good name behind them. So I was brainstorming and this, you know, we're stepping back like two years because this is how long I've been working on this new rebranding and refresh. Stepping back two years, I started looking for domain names. I didn't find anything I really liked. And the ones that I did like were already taken. Like yourreviewhere.com? Yeah, you know, <laughs> hardware review, so on and so forth. Now, when I was doing my brainstorming session, I came across Hardware Asylum. Of course, it was taken at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, well, let's see how long, you know, because you go to the domain name and it wasn't available. It didn't pull up a site at all. So I was like, maybe they shut down or something, right? So I go and check and it was going to expire soon. So I just kind of put it on the back burner and I watched it. When the site finally expired, you know, it takes about three months for it to actually go up for sale. I went and snagged it the first day it was for sale and I held on to it for about a year. So if you're listening, you're probably wondering what's going to happen with NinjaLane.com. NinjaLane.com is still available. If you go, you know, as I mentioned before, there's about 13 years, almost 14 years of reviews under that domain name. And I only moved anything from 2011 forward to the new site. So anything older than that, you can go to ninjaling.com and pull up one of those reviews. And that means, at least in the short one, we'll probably be talking about some of those reviews in addition to the new reviews as they get posted on Hardware Asylum. Right. And admittedly, my email address is still at ninjaling.com because my business name is still ninjaling. So Ninja Lane is not dead, per se. It's just become sort of the shadowy figure behind the asylum. Yes. So we're going to be coming up with puns like that. And also, we need to rename the Ninja Lane podcast. So it may take us an episode or two to get our heads around that. I mean, we are in an asylum, but we're not quite that crazy. No, not at all. And we don't need to have a crazy jacket in the corner or be on fire. Or... What? No, wait. <laughs> Super cold, that's what we want. There you go. You can join us just like you normally would through the RSS feed if you haven't already subscribed, or you can find us on the front page of the new hardwareasylum.com. 
And I think we have something special planned for the launch. We do. And that would be a custom computer giveaway. If you've been following us on Facebook, this is not a surprise. But if you're following us through one of the more traditional methods, now is your opportunity to go and hit those likes and subscribes because what are we giving away? Giving away a custom-painted Thermaltake Level 10 GT. Ooh, you probably remember the Level 10 GT was one of those cases that we really, really liked. And it's just gotten better. In fact, I think it's been touched by a Lamborghini designer. Not necessarily, but definitely has some color. Ah. I am going to screw up the name, but it's like Onco Borealis or something. It's like very Italian. But it's pearl orange, which is a three-stage paint, automotive paint. If somebody's going to be painting this, they have to lay down at least four color coats. It is very sexy. And yes, indeed, it is the same beautiful deep orange that was used in a Lamborghini. I think a Gallardo, if I remember correctly. Yes, 2004. Very sexy indeed. And not only will you win this beautiful hand-painted case. Yep, I painted it myself, by the way. But you will also win some nice goodies to go along with your little upgrade. Yep, we have a Z87 motherboard. That's Haswell, by the way. And two items from Thermaltake directly, which would be a water 3.0 and a 750-watt power supply. Sounds like a great opportunity to go over there. And all you have to do is join the conversation by liking us, and you'll get an opportunity to win that wonderful package and an opportunity for us to welcome you to the herd on the new site. Again, hardwareasylum.com. October 18th and 19th, 2013 was the MOA Finals. All right. As we have talked about on the podcast, I did compete in the pre-qualifiers, one and two. And the second one, I, um, yeah, I didn't have hardware to compete, so I didn't compete. And remember that because that's important later on. Didn't you uh, try to like run a 386 or something? Oh, yes. What I did was... I ran the top video card in the cheap chips edition plus what was required for me to run in the expensive chips division. Tried to get the best score I could possibly get, and I believe I got a gold cup for it, which was awesome. But I didn't have any hardware enough to really put in a monster score and get my ticket to Taipei. So on October 18th and 19th, you were? I was watching from the comforts of my office. Now, hold on. You were watching it live? I was watching it live. They had a live stream broadcast over YouTube, which was, I want to say, like three static cameras that they would flip between. So you could see the um, people setting up. You could see certain competitions. They had um, a mirror of one competitor's screen, so you could see what they were doing, which was pretty cool. So how did it go? I think the competition went really well. They started out and they tried to set it up to have an esports sort of commentary to get people excited about the overclocking that was happening. Now let's step back a little bit because I know that October 18th and 19th was actually the accumulation of two very different events. Right. We had the classic battle, which was typical MOA. So it was three benchmarks best overclocker wins. So before we get to the live coverage, which I'm kind of excited about, let's get the basics down. What was the competition using this year? 
Competition was using Z87 M-Power Max motherboards. Oh. Combined with a, yeah, 780 Lightning. Nice. And Haswell 4770K processors. Okay. And then I believe memory from Corsair. We also had Cooler Master Power Supplies and a Plexter MF5 Pro Extreme SSD. That's pretty exciting hardware. But of course, as always, I have to ask, where's the Titan? No Titan. I'm not sure where the Titan was. And partially, I think it was because MSI could not custom design a Titan. NVIDIA doesn't allow that. Well, we certainly think that the Lightning series is just almost as good and certainly something that you and I could just get out on the open market if we were paying enough attention, at least. We've talked about that before. Yes, we have. And admittedly, the the Lightning, since it's an in-house design and MSI was on hand, they could address any issues in real time during the overclocky competition. They could also do that during the pre, you know, the pre-show prep because they sent out hardware to all the overclockers so they could test and tune and whatnot. So they had all the variables covered, whereas if they were used in an OEM off-the-shelf Titan, it would have required hard mods and that could uh, potentially upset the end result. Well, and it introduces a level of inconsistency. Now, looking at this laundry list of uh, some pretty nice hardware, as you've talked about it, what do you see as uh, the strengths and weaknesses of the build? It depends on what benchmark you're running, really, because the Lightning Edition card is going to work great for the DirectX 11 stuff, which in this case was Firestack Extreme. Right. The 4770K is going to be your processor of choice for all the 2D benchmarks, obviously. So SuperPi and Cinebench are going to take advantage of the memory bandwidth in the Haswell processors and also the massive overclocking ability of that chip. So no known limitations on these, no cold bugs or anything specific like that to work around? Well, they had cold bugs to deal with, obviously. They also had no limit on clock frequency. For instance, in previous MOAs, they had Sandy Bridge and Ivy Bridge processors, but when they did their SuperPi scores, they were limited to, I think it was a certain multiplier or a certain base clock or something like that. Oh, sort of an artificial baseline. Right. So that way they... The scores that they were getting were based off of system tweaks they were doing and also their knowledge of SuperPi, for instance, and how fast they could get their memory to go. And that was different this time. This time they could go as fast as they wanted, as far as I could understand. The only limitation was how fast they could get their memory and how stable they could get their system and really how well they understood overclocking a Haswell system. Well, that's certainly what we want to see that a master's doing is really getting the most out of the equipment, even if there is some, I guess, engineering inconsistencies across product lines. Right. And I think we've talked about this before, and it's competitions like this, it's a lucky draw to get hardware. Right. So all the hardware is on a on a uh, table, and then they draw numbers, and then the person that gets number one, they can go and pick what hardware they want, and they check it out. So all the serial numbers are recorded. So mm-hmm. when the competition is done, they can go back to a certain processor and determine if what they got was real or if they had swapped them or whatnot. Well, that makes sense. Keep them honest. If you get a dud, though, can you swap it out? I believe they were allowed to exchange hardware once. Oh, okay. So, for instance, Georgie Primo, he had a dead motherboard, so he couldn't compete in the SuperPi section, which was the first one. Right. 
but he also posted scores in Cinebench and Firestrike, so he was able to get his system working afterwards. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So Classic Battles was the first day. Let's talk about the live feed. The live feed. I didn't tune in for the very, very beginning, so I believe they were showing the hardware selection process. I tuned in during the setup phase, which was an hour for the overclockers to prep their systems. Now, they had, as I mentioned before, several static camera positions. So one of them was looking over one corner, and you could see, I believe it was like six or seven overclockers as they were setting up. And it was really kind of fun to watch. You know, you couldn't get a lot of detail on what they were doing to prep their systems, but if you knew what to look for, you could kind of see what they were doing. Like there was one overclocker, and I'm not going to try to name names because I'm going to screw it up. But there was one overclocker that was using Needed Eraser to insulate his board. There was another overclocker that was using Vaseline, which are the two common methods. I saw one overclocker. He was setting up his CPU pot, and he ended up getting some scissors out and cutting the insulation off the outside of it. I'm thinking to myself, it's like, you had three months to prep for this. (laughs) Why are you cutting the insulation off at the last minute? I believe at the very end they had asked him about that to the point where, because he was one of the people that started late and it was because of his prep work. And I guess he had come back from another competition that was using Asus boards. So everything was slightly different. He didn't have time to reset. Oh, okay. It's interesting that there isn't a specific best practice, if you will. So People are still using a variety of different setups. Right. And it's very personal. You know, for instance, uh, Honda City, we interviewed him for the podcast. Right. He used to use uh, Needy Eraser religiously for overclocking. He had a board die due to condensation. He would overclock and then he would stop. He would, and then the next day he would overclock again and they would stop. Well, he had some condensation happening under the backside of the board and it kind of rusted some stuff and it fried the board one day. Since then, he had always used Vaseline and he just trusted it. Right, And I believe a lot of overclockers are the same way. Some actually prefer kneaded eraser, like myself, because it's very clean. And when you're done overclocking, you just rip it off and you can clean up everything and you can reset. Other people like Vaseline. And I've noticed that overclockers that work in high humidity areas prefer Vaseline over kneaded eraser. No, well, that makes sense. It's a little easier to get a tight seal because you can really penetrate all the little nooks and crannies. Right. And... It's a little bit faster in some regards. I don't like it personally because it's really sticky and gross. And overclockers at the MOA got to keep the hardware that they used during the competition. So they're going to bring this board back. It's going to be all greasy from Vaseline. And they can stick it in the dishwasher and then have to rewash their dishes four or five times to get all the (laughs) stuff out. But they could clean it up at that point or put it in a box and stays with the rest of their overclocking gear. That makes sense. Now, you mentioned that the live feed was going on for both of these days. But going back now, can you go back and view this? Was it was it recorded? I don't believe it was recorded explicitly to be recorded. Right. The way that the live stream was set up, they were trying to do an esports sort of interaction. So every once in a while, uh, Massman and Truthman would get on and describe what was happening during the competition. Oh, that's really nice. And we've talked about that sort of thing before. So it's nice to hear that some of those things are actually taking place. Right. And 
I think that that was really the strong thing about the whole live stream. I didn't necessarily like that the cameras were in static positions. In previous MOAs, they always would cut to a camera that was moving around so you could kind of see the different aspects of the show floor. And this time it was just kind of stuck there. Well, it's a little less intrusive, maybe. It allows the overclockers to concentrate a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. in all actuality, they are there for entertainment. They're not necessarily there for their enjoyment. Well, there's an advertising aspect too, certainly for MSI. Right. And, you know, they paid a lot of good money to bring in these overclockers and let them break some records. Yeah, yeah, let them break some records. But they're there for, basically, MSI can do whatever they want with them. Sure. If they want to have cameras all around and in their face and seeing exactly what they're doing, they should be open to that. But some people don't necessarily like that. And admittedly, overclockers are very, they're very personal people. All right. And when people get in their face, then they kind of, it throws their game off. Well, it's not exactly known as the most extroverted hobby after all. Yeah, that's true. This time the the cameras were static, and every once in a while they would get on and start talking about some esports stuff. And then in between the interviews, they were playing some techno music in the background. (laughs) Nice. Well, I guess YouTube, because they were streaming over YouTube. The the people at YouTube caught on to that and thought that the music was copyrighted. Oh, no. So they cut the stream. So four hours after they first started, the stream got cut. And uh, that kind of derailed the entire show at that point. Wow, what a bummer. Yep. Well, they did switch over to live stream. Okay. Which we've broadcast on live stream before. Yeah. The software for live stream is a lot different than YouTube. So they weren't able to switch in between cameras a lot like the way they wanted to. And at that point, they were really focused on getting live stream up and then kind of reverting back into the ways that previous MOAs were were recorded to the point where it was just a series of YouTube videos. So they'd go around and do interviews and they would create a really great video, but it never got conveyed into the into the live stream. I'm guessing that you can, however, go out and view those videos still because they're on YouTube. They are on YouTube and they are part of the Overclocking TV page. Fantastic. Well this is kind of a new a new field, I guess. So it's it's growing. I know they'll get better with each broadcast, and at least the little segment that I watched looked pretty good, so not a bad start. Right. It's not at all. And I did talk with Massman and Truthman about MOA when I was there for Computex, and I'm glad to see that some of my suggestions made it into the competition, so much, in fact, that they tried to get me on to be one of the commentators. Oh, nice. But we had uh, firewalling issues and... <laughs> um, Unexpected technical issues. Yeah. And it was, you know, that wasn't necessarily something that they were set up to do. So that was a good thing. And now we know Google doesn't like techno. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Well, let's cut to the chase. How did the competition wind up? Well, Toastly from the Ukraine took first place. Nice. He had the best overall 3D Mark Fire Strike score, but he didn't have the top scores in Super Pi or Cinebench. Looking at the results which we'll link to in the show notes, I'm sure. It is a really tight competition. I mean, down several places. Yeah, Lucky Noob came in second. And we are talking, what is that, two-tenths of a percent? Wow. And see, Lucky Noob had the top score in Super Pi and Cinebench. He won both of those. But 
with how the scores are calculated, just because you won two segments doesn't mean you're going to win the third segment. Right. Or win the competition because of the third segment. And in third place, we had Extreme Addict. And he is, it looks like, two-tenths of a percent behind Lucky Noob. So the top three scores were neck and neck. That is an impressive finish. And congratulations, guys, for bringing home the gold, silver, and bronze. Now, my competition, Mike CDM, you know, in the pre-qualifiers and whatnot, he came in 11th place. And it looks like he was 20... 20 points behind the leaders in percentage points. Yeah, but still a pretty admirable finish. Go Team USA. Yeah. And uh, FDW, he's the Canadian-American. He came in 12th, right behind Mike CDM. And I want to congratulate those guys on actually making it, and um, hopefully they'll be able to make it again. Yeah, thanks for representing the home team and for bringing home a very positive showing in really a pretty tight competition. Yeah. Now, we did have a day two Oh, that's right. Day two was the freestyle battles. Yes, it was the freestyle. And this was a new addition to the MOA. And it was MSI's quest to get world records. So I'm guessing, because of the freestyle name, that there was a little bit different hardware requirements? There was a total of 12 benchmarks that they could, were eligible for world records. The overclockers were allowed to bring their own hardware as long as it was an MSI motherboard and an MSI video card. Because it's not exactly a one-to-one competition, there were other things they were competing at. Right. Well, they were competing at, in the 12 benchmarks, Mm -hmm. they were competing for a world record. And if they got a world record, they got cash prize. Nice. Corsair also threw in that if you used Corsair memory to get that world record, they would throw in a cash prize on top of... Your prize you already got. Very nice. Little incentive action. Yeah. Early in this segment, I had talked about hardware to compete. Well, there were several overclockers that were just there to watch because they didn't have hardware to compete. So they decided not to even try, just to kind of bow out and root on the, the other people that were competing. So of the people that were, we have OC Windforce that won an XTU world record. We have That's nice. We have VV who took a Cinebench world record twice. And we have Rebus, who is our Brazilian American friend, who basically ran heaven the heaven benchmark all day throughout the entire competition and broke his world record five times. That is impressive. And as I'm looking at the scores, a pretty consistent increase every time he ran it. Yeah, and that is an impressive feat because the Unigen Heaven benchmark is a really long benchmark. One to the point where, you know, when it changes, you have to watch temperature and you got to keep it within a couple of degrees. But as somebody that runs liquid nitrogen on a video card knows, when the screen goes black, it almost freezes the GPU. So you have to know when the benchmark is going to end to stop pouring. And then know how long of a gap you're going to have and start pouring again before the video comes back. That really does speak to a level of expertise and precision that's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure if he was using Corsair memory, but I know he did take a uh, cash prize for winning the Heaven Benchmark. Well, I'm definitely well-deserved. Those are impressive scores for anyone. Did you see anything in the freestyle day that you liked or didn't like that was different from the overall feed? Well, the freestyle still had 
the plague of kind of being derailed. So there was a static camera angle. They spent a lot of time doing interviews to the point where they would, you know, make their YouTube videos. There was one point where they were going to try to do interviews with some of the overclockers that weren't actually doing the freestyle, but they had technical issues, so they couldn't get that onto live stream, which was really unfortunate because that would have made it a lot more entertaining. Well, these are just growing pains, though. I'm just excited that you can tune in in general. And at the very end, they interviewed some of the overclockers again about the world records that they had gotten. There was an after movie, which was really kind of an index of all of the MOA videos. Nice. Where Trufelman was walking around during the freestyle day, and he was kind of pointing. And then they would put in a, um, you know, one of those links in YouTube, so you could go to another video. It was actually done really well. And you could see in the background some of the overclockers queuing in on that. So it's like you'd point right here, and then you'd point over, and then you'd see some guy just looking up. And then <laughs> the face would get covered up with a video, which I thought was really funny. Wow, a pretty impressive run for the MOA, and some really nice records were broken. Yeah. What are we looking forward to next from overclocking competitions? There is the Country Cup, which is happening right now. It started in November, and that is something we talked about on the podcast before, where countries battle countries in overclocking scores. Exciting. And that's an MOA style also? Is that an MSI contest? No, that is an HW bot contest. Oh, so their hardware limitations are not so strict. Not so strict, no. The benchmarks have requirements, obviously. In previous country cups, it was... Whoever would submit a, a 200 series in video score would get points and whatnot. And I've done a couple of those. And that really allows all sorts of overclockers to submit scores and help their country actually win the country cup. Well, it definitely encourages you to not just compete with the deep pockets, but to compete with whatever hardware you have available. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing some more results. And congratulations, everyone, on a really terrific MOA run this year. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. Stay up to date on the latest at NinjaLane by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter or join us on Facebook. This has been a NinjaLane production, copyright 2013. Thanks for listening.